right, let me clear my daughter's name. She was right and I was wrong. <laughs> I had uh, two, she told me two Sundays, the last two Sundays of the year, the Super Church is going to stay up here. And Sunday the 31st, I've asked Josh if he would preach. And so in my mind, my last two Sundays are this Sunday and next Sunday. And so that's why they were here. But the reason I want to keep them here is because um, we're looking at uh, specifically Noah's Ark this morning. And we're going to make it all the way to the manger. And I want to have a simple gospel presentation for our boys and girls. And I think it's good for them to hear from time to time as they're growing in their understanding. Uh, and so I wanted, to, I wanted to keep them here. We're looking at In the Beginning God as a series, the first 11, 12 chapters of Genesis. And we're, we're at Noah, the Noah event, the Noah account right now. And it will be the longest uh, events up to date. Four chapters are given to Noah and the ark. And, you know, an awful lot of the time when we hear about the ark, we see cute little books and animals that are smiling and sitting outside of a toy plastic ark. The ark was a horrific event. Um, everything except for eight individuals and the animals that God brought to the ark um, was destroyed. And it gives us the real picture, and we have to be careful that we portray it as such. The last point of today's message is going to be about Jesus laying in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Um, some of the details around Jesus' first coming, Jesus becoming a man, Second Corinthians chapter 5 says, for our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And our, us as adults need to hear that even as followers of Christ. It's the gospel that keeps us going as well. But we must believe it's absolutely critical uh, with a biblical belief. There is an unbiblical belief. The demons believe and they tremble. Uh, and so we want to have a belief that's biblical, that's God-honoring. And our children need to hear that uh, over and over. And it isn't that the more they hear it, the more they might happen to believe. Um, they need to hear it with their understanding. And we're absolutely, completely dependent upon the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. And so I, bought some, I brought some props with me this morning. And this is the first one. And Russ was asking me, who's the terrible shot? <laughs> and I told him it was Chiago. <laughs> <laughs> when kids come in and from time to time moms and dads will ask and, and I like to support the word that they're teaching at home and share the gospel message with them and one of the first things that we talk about is the need to understand what sin is because when we look at Romans which is a good picture of the gospel uh, Romans tells us for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that would be everyone that has ever walked this planet except for our Lord. Even Noah, even though he was righteous uh, in his generation, um, he needed the mercy and the grace of God as well. And so to help kids understand or anyone really understand what sin is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, um, the word sin uh, helps us understand what that means. It means to miss the mark. And obviously, if you see the arrows in this, in this target, um, let's just call all of the yellow being the mark, uh, some were closer and others were farther away. And that would be all of us as human beings in Lone Jack, in the United States, all around the world, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Um, and then I like to ask kids, and so I'll ask us, and I'd like to get some responses if I could. Uh, how do we know what sin is? How do we know what sin is? And Scripture helps us do that as well. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the purposes of the law, um, specifically the Ten Commandments, is to help us see that we miss the mark, that we've sinned. So if you would, help me remember what the Ten Commandments are. Who has one of the commandments in their mind? And usually if I'm sitting down with a mom and dad, I'll put a little pressure on dad and go straight to him just to see how, how, how fresh he is. And he'll say something like, don't lie. <laughs> What are some of the Ten Commandments? Who could give me one of those? Yes. Don't lie. Don't lie. <laughs> that is one sharp kid. <laughs> that is exactly right. Don't lie. Thou shalt not lie. And who, uh, just one second, I'll get to you, okay, buddy? You're next. And who among us has always only told the truth? Would you raise your hand? And that would be the first lie. <laughs> All right? <laughs> And so, we, and so we've missed the mark. Um, now, there are some who live lying. That's just what they do. We're not going to talk about where they live in our country. No, I'm just, uh, they, they live at my house, too. Um, but there are, some, uh, there are some who live lying, and they are way away from the mark. And then there are others who they do pretty good, and they get kind of close, but they're still missing the mark. Okay? Either one is missing the mark. Um, if you're if you're outside of the mark, you're outside of the mark. What what was that other commandment back there? Go ahead, buddy. Do not murder. You should, thou shalt not murder. Okay. Jesus takes that even to a different level, doesn't he? He says, don't even hate somebody. Um, but I, you know, I didn't used to think that murder was as big of a deal as what I realize now that I'm an adult and I hear the news and I recognize the heart of man. It's happening all the time, everywhere, in our country, with babies, with adults, everywhere. Um, it's a convenient thing so that I don't have to encounter something that I don't want to counter. And so we either hit the mark or we miss the mark. What's another commandment? They don't, yes. Honor your father and mother. Who here would say, I have always only honored my father and my... See those smirks on those teenagers? Who here would say, I have always only honored my father and mother? And again, none of us would raise our hand. And so we miss the mark. The mark was, I want you to honor your father and mother. I don't want you to lie. I don't want you to murder. Some other commandments. Help me out. Yes. Don't steal. Okay, very good. Another one? Yes. Have no other gods before me. Absolutely. That's one, two, three, four. Yes. Pretty close. Um, thou shalt not commit adultery is what you're saying, right? That's, that's right. The, the marriage bed is undefiled. That's blessed by God. And anything outside of it, regardless of what Hollywood says and what judges say, is contra- contrary to God's word. Yes, sir. No, no fault. Uh-huh. Don't make for yourself idols. That's right. I lost count. Somebody. Yes, Bella. Don't covet. I look at I look at Stevie Zell and I think, man, I wish I had something that he wants. I want it. So I wish I I wish I had his chainsaws. That's what I wish I had. Okay. It isn't it isn't a chainsaw. Steve is the only person I know that has a chainsaw collection. Okay. And, and I wish I could have that. 
and let him work with my chainsaws, okay? <laughs> but kind of makes it fun, but it's the idea of seeing something that somebody else has and I want it so bad that it just motivates me and drives me and all of a sudden it becomes the focus of my life. It could be a car, it could be a spouse, it could be, uh, it could be anything. Thou shalt not covet. What else have we missed? Yes. Cool. Very good. That's exactly right. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How many are we on? Are we at seven or eight somewhere in there? Yes. One more. What do you got, Victor? Oh, oh my. Oh, wow. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Uh, And that is much more than just a cuss word. It could be a believer with a heart that desires to honor God using God's name in an empty fashion. And we can do that and it misses the mark. And so what I like to do when I'm sharing with kids, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but now I'm sharing with everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fit in that camp somewhere. And you might say, well, I did okay on two or three, probably not, but you might say, I did okay on two or three of them, um, but the rest of them I broke. And James tells us that if we break the law in one commandment, that we've broken the whole thing, that that it's a collective group, and that if we break in one, that we've broken. And so we fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, the wages of sin is death. And somebody is going to die. And I, Adam died. We just studied that about a month, month and a half ago. He began dying physically when they disobeyed God. And he died spiritually as well. And we, we are birthed alive with a sin nature that we get all the way from Adam. And God has taken care of that. And he did that by sending Jesus. And I hope Lynn Midget doesn't recognize this, but I wish he had. I stole your red tablecloth out there, okay? <laughs> The blood of Jesus Christ. (laughs) God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to die for our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It isn't going to church, and I know we know that and we hear that. It isn't going to super church, kids. It isn't memorizing the Bible. That's a good thing to do. But the only thing that covers my sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. All right? And when the blood of Jesus Christ has covered my sin, I I stole this off of Kathy's bed. (laughs) When the blood of Jesus Christ has covered our sin, we become what Isaiah described as white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And that's the reason Jesus came, what we celebrate Christmas, so that he could, as the Son of God, absolutely perfect, completely sinless, die on the cross and take my punishment for me. And he requires that I believe him for that. He requires repentance. Repentance is me trusting in what I think is right and doing the very best I can and things like that. And he requires that. And a biblical belief is going to have some fruit of God working in my heart and God and and me becoming more righteousness. And I wanted our boys and girls to begin to hear that again or continue hearing that because moms and dads, you can take this and nurture it at home fill in some of the blanks and begin to share with them the gospel or continue sharing with them the gospel as well. Jesus came and he lived in a manger. 
There was another time, and let's go all the way back to Genesis. There was another time when God saved people uh, on the earth, and that was with the ark. And you remember the story. We've been studying it for a couple of weeks now. We'll study it a couple of weeks into the new year after the Christmas season as well. Uh, And that was because the world was so wicked and so sin-filled that God said, I'm going to destroy everything that breathes on the planet. And except for Noah, excuse me, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Last week we looked at Noah being a righteous man, excuse me, blameless in his generation. And we talked about Noah walking with God. I wanted to tell us this morning uh, a little bit, we're not going to be in Genesis long, but go ahead and open your Bibles there. I wanted us to look at the blueprint of the ark, the blueprint of the ark. And what we're going to see is we're going to see God being detailed. But I don't want us to stop with the ark. We're going to look at the blueprint of the ark, and then we're going to look at the tabernacle briefly. We're going to look at the temple briefly. And then we're going to ask a question that seems to be a glaring question for me um, when, we, when we consider the manger at the very end of the, at the, very end of the message. I'm, I am in Genesis chapter 6, and I'm in verse 13. And it says this, Noah, excuse me, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side, make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which the breath, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that's on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. I want us to look just a little briefly at the preparation of the ark. The ark offered Noah protection. Just like the manger offers us protection from our sin and peace with God, the ark offered Noah protection, but it depended upon Noah's obedient faith. And Noah was obedient to what the Lord wanted. In verse 22, we see that he did all that the Lord had commanded him. But he said in verse 14, make yourself an ark. Verse 17, he said, For behold, I will bring a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Noah was protected. Noah's wife was protected. His three sons, his three sons' wives as well, and then the animals that God brought. But look at some of the details. This is how you shall make it. Verse 15, an ark which means a chest or a box. It can even mean a casket, all right? We don't see the word used very much. Uh, An ark is a chest or a box, could even mean a casket. Make it of gopher wood. And even today, I was reading different commentaries and books. They don't know what gopher wood is. Uh, Everything would have been destroyed then. Don't know what gopher wood is. Its length is 300 cubits. I'll speak to that in a minute. Its breadth is 50 cubits. Its height is 30 cubits. Three levels, a lower, a second, and a third deck. The ark was to have a roof, which was one cubit above. The door was to be on the side of the ark, and it was to be covered inside and out with pitch, which is an asphalt type of slime that they use on the outside and the inside that made it waterproof as well. The cubit 
I'm quoting, was a common measurement used by a number of ancient cultures. A cubit is equal to the distance between a person's elbow and their longest finger. So this would be a cubit from here to here. That would be a cubit. Now we're a little more specific in our day. We use a tape measure. And you get down to the 15 and 17, um, uh, 15 and 15, 16. So, I mean, we get down that close um, these days. But then they used cubits. And a cubit normally was 17 and a half inches to 18 and a half inches. And I didn't measure this, but I'm thinking if it were a, a Shaquille O'Neal, his cubit might be a little bit bigger than my cubit. Don't know. Um, but 17 and a half to 18 inches. And then later on, there was what was called, uh, let me find that, there was what was called a royal cubit. A royal cubit was, was a length used in ancient construction, and this isn't biblical, this is just what's added, and I'll tell you why in a second, which added the measurement of these four fingers. And so I've got from here to here, and then they added these four fingers. The reason I tell you that is because if you've been to the Ark Encounter, they use the royal cubit. And so when it says that it was 300 cubits long, their measurement is 510 feet long. So that's, that just gives you an idea. So there's a little bit of wiggle room in there, 17 and a half, 18 inches, give or take, uh, for the cubit. Uh, and, that's, and that would be the length of the, of the arc, the width, and the height as well. 300 cubits, 510 feet if you use the royal cubit, that would be, just to give us a, an, an idea in our mind, that would be a football field and two-thirds, okay? And so if you watch football on Sunday afternoons, it would be a full football field and then two-thirds more of a football field, all right? 50 cubits wide. Some people saw me counting across here this morning because I wanted to give us an idea of what 50 cubits was. And uh 51 cubits is from the back door to about right here. And so that would be how high it was. You add about half of that again, that's how wide it was. Football field and two-thirds long. Um, that far and half again would be how wide. And then that far up to me is how high that, that arc would have been. So some pretty good details. And I wanted to mention that there are probably 12, 14, 15 of these books that are called the Ark Signs floating around because all of the teenagers that went to camp this last year got one of these. I've got one. It's right here on the table. It really is worth just, just taking this and looking through it, spending 10 or 15 minutes and looking at some, of the, at some of the designs and some of the speculations that are in there as well. It gives you a little bit more understanding. They're here. If you don't find that here and you'd like one, talk with one of the teenagers. Um, they'll probably be able to find one for you. God gave Noah these dimensions so that it would be large enough for everything that he wanted to fit inside and save from death to be able to fit. The animals, their food, their water, their waste, an area for the animals to live, cages, as well as everything needed to sustain eight humans that were on board for over a year. Say, so, well, I thought it only rained 40 days and 40 nights, and it did. But if you look at the time frame given in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11 through 13, and then you look at when he left the ark in Genesis chapter 8, verse 14 through 20, it gives very specific days and months when it began as well as when it ends. 
An interesting fact, and this is just, this doesn't fit, but I thought it was kind of interesting, is Lamech. You remember Cain's descendant, Lamech. Cain um, talked with God, didn't do what God wanted him to do. Lamech came five generations later. This isn't Lamech who was Noah's father. There's a Lamech in Cain's line, and there's a Lamech in Seth's line. Noah's dad's name was Lamech as well. We're not talking about him. But five generations from Cain came a man by the name of Tubal-Cain, And it says in chapter 4, verse 22, he was a forger of all instruments, bronze and iron. I say that to say this, Noah would have had at his disposal, not just wood and wood nails and probably used some of those, but he also would have had bronze and iron because Tubal Cain had already become a master in those those arenas as well. I I find that kind of interesting. God established his covenant with Noah. I will establish my covenant with you. You shall, you shall come into the ark, you, your son, your wives, your son's wives with you. My covenant or my promise, my alliance, my league. In this case, it was an unconditional, it was an unconditional covenant. He didn't have to do anything for God to fulfill his word. Sometimes in scripture we find covenants, but they're conditional. I must fulfill my part in order for God to fulfill his part. This one's unconditional. Um, more about that in chapter 9 because we're going to see that a couple of times used there. Jesus would later use that same word covenant in Luke 22, and we've read it, um, we read it and celebrate it monthly. He took bread when he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to them and said, said this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, and that's what we're remembering him doing. And likewise, the cup after he had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you. It's the new covenant of my blood. And so we live under a new covenant, and it's the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that's able to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness. And if you're a child of God and enjoy the peace of God, it's because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? More about the covenants in chapter 9. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8 says, Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the details that he gave about the ark. And we find also God making a covenant with him. I want us to quickly look at two other places in the Old Testament where we find some details. And the picture that we're going to see is God is incredibly focused on the details that he gives And so he gives whatever it is that he determines is necessary. I'm in Exodus chapter 25. Open your Bible there if you want to. And we're going to just kind of float through some of these scriptures rather than consider a whole text. Exodus chapter 25. This is the tabernacle. And I'm just going to read a little bit about the details of the tabernacle. Exodus 25 verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Drop down to verse 9, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. And look at how exact he gets. Verse 10, they shall make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits, there's our cubit. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it. You shall make on it a molding of gold all around. Verse 12, you shall cast four rings of gold for it. Put them in the four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold. And then he continues by giving even more details about this Ark of the Testimony. He gives a a, a, a vast amount of details. But drop down to verse 17 because then he starts with the mercy seat. 
You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width. You shall make two cherubim of gold, angels, uh, figures, hammered work. You shall make them out of the two, uh, two ends for the mercy seat. Verse 21. You shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. The ark you shall put in the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. And the testimony that he wanted in there that he had given them, we find in Hebrews chapter 9, the two tablets of the law that God had written with his finger, the ones that help us discern, I have missed the mark, those two tablets of the law. There was also included a jar of manna. We remember that, the, that God provided for the children of Israel after they exodus, exod, after they left Egypt and, and provided manna for him. And so he wanted a, a jar of manna in there. And then Aaron's rod that budded was also placed inside. Um, then he gives specifics about the table for showbread. And I'm not going to read them, but it's the same idea. Very specific, very specific measurements, very specific design, exactly what he wanted. And then he includes a golden lampstand. And then he includes the curtains of the tabernacle, ten curtains of fine woven linen, blue and purple and scarlet thread, with artistic design of cherubim. Angels, again, you shall weave them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits. That's pretty tall. The width of each curtain, four cubits. And, and every one of the curtains shall have the same measurement. So he gives, and then he gives more t- detail. And then he gives detail about an altar, of burn, a burnt offering. And the court of the temple had specific design and specific measurements. And then we get into the priests and their garments and the specific of those things. All of that to say, look how incredibly detailed and specific God is when he wants it to be to serve his purpose. He told Noah, this is what I want you to do. This is how long. This is what it's for. This is how wide. This is how high. Because you found grace in my side and I'm providing for this for you. And it's a protection for you. And then we go to the tabernacle and God gets incredibly detailed in his description of what Moses was supposed to do with the tabernacle. And he did it. And then we fast forward and I want to invite you to find 1 Kings chapter 6. 1 Kings chapter 6. And this is the temple. This is the temple that Solomon built, and the reason Solomon built it is because David, his father, had shed too much blood, and God said, you're not going to do this. I'm going to let your son do this. And again, what we're going to find is intense detail. I'm going to read a little bit more of this passage, the temple, and the details that we find about God giving on it. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. It came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. So we don't have to wonder about the when. He's pretty specific when he wants to give the date. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. The temple is what it's called a little bit later on in the passage. Now the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was, and here we go with the details, 60 cubits, its width 20, its height 30 cubits. The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long, and the width of the house, the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. He made for the house windows of beveled frame. I have to laugh, and I want to tell you this. When I, I was reading this thing, and I said, he made for the house of the windows the beveled frames. I thought, no, beveled's isn't a word. What is this? this thing it's beveled the beveled frames verse 5 against the wall of the temple he 
built chambers all around against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary, the inner sanctuary. Verse 6, the lower chamber was five cubits wide. The middle was six uh, wide. The, uh, the third was seven cubits wide. For he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. Look at verse 7. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. They didn't want to disturb the presence of God was the idea there. But we find intense detail, not only with, not only with the ark, also with the tabernacle. Now we're finding it also with the temple. Look at verse 15. He built the inside wall of the temple with cedar boards. From the floor of the temple to the ceiling, he paneled the inside with wood. He covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Let me just stop and give you a parenthesis. This isn't the temple. This is sheetrock and two-by-fours. The Spirit of God resides in you as a follower of Jesus Christ, His temple. So let's be careful that we don't lift up too high the brick building, but that we recognize the temple of the living God are the people that follow Him that He indwells. But we find a lot of details here. He built 20... A cubit room at the rear of the temple for the floor of the ceiling with cedar boards. Verse 16, he built it inside as the inner sanctuary as the most holy place. Verse 19, he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The one that we just read about with Moses. Ornate and detailed and specific. And then we move forward 28 generations. And I say, well, actually it would be 27 generations. And the reason I say 27 generations is because of Matthew 1, all the generations from Abraham to David, but David, we're talking about Solomon, his son, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. From the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. And we find Jesus in a manger. And we read it this morning and we heard a couple of passages around the Christmas story. And we find Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem, and they're having a baby, and they're laying Jesus in a manger. Where is the detail there? We look at the detail in the ark. We find incredible detail in, in, in the tabernacle. We find ornateness and detail in the temple. Why a manger? Couldn't God have just said, let there be another room and there would have been another room? Of course he could have. He's almighty God. He's able to do that. But he didn't do that. I don't think he left out the detail. I think he emphasized the detail that he wanted emphasized. And with the temple, it was one thing. With the ark, it was another thing. With, with, with the, the tabernacle, it was something else. But with Jesus' birth, we're going to find the humility that the Son of God came into, the, and came into this earth with. The detail of Jesus' birth in a manger is different. They're there. They're just not cubits and ornate things. Luke chapter 2 says, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Couldn't God have put Mary and Joseph up in the five-star Bethlehem inn? Of course he could have. 
But he didn't do that. He spoke the world into, into existence. He spoke and it began to happen, just as, just as he said it would. He could have done that. If he wanted to, and he did, he stopped the sun from going down when Joshua was fighting against the, uh, who? Thank you. Amalekites, right? Okay, thank you. I, I was searching for that one. Um, and so he stopped the sun. So he could have done something better for Joseph and Mary rather than sleeping on straw and putting Jesus in, a, in an animal's trough. When it's time for the Passover, he tells Peter and John to follow a man carrying a pitcher of water. He said, you go prepare the Passover for me right before he's going to be crucified. And they said, well, how are we going to know where to do that? And he said, well, when you go into town, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. You follow him and the house that he goes into, you speak to the master of that house, that's where you prepare it. And that's exactly what they found. And that's exactly what they did. But there wasn't any pomp and circumstance surrounding Jesus' birth. There, were, there was an angelic choir. Why a manger? I think we know the answer, but I think it's good to be reminded. Jesus' first coming was intensely and extremely humble. His first coming. His second coming is going to be completely different. He is coming again. His second coming will be different. There was no room except with the animals. There was no bed for Jesus except a trough, a manger. The only ones who seemed to care were the ones that were alerted by God himself. Yes, there were later wise men that came. They were alerted by the Lord. Anna and Simeon came later. They were alerted by God. The angels that sang, the angelic alerted by God, seems like the only ones that cared were alerted by God. Very humble for the Son of God, the one to sit on David's throne, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Very humble, very detail-free, apart from the specific prophecies that were fulfilled around where and when he would come. Did God forget the details? Of course not. He's emphasizing the very most important part. And that's that our Lord came in humility. Kathy read it, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Jesus made himself of no reputation. I wish we had political leaders that would make themselves of no reputation. This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Of all of the nations, of all of the world, of all of time. He made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men... Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. His parents were poor. We know that because of the offering that they gave. He was the son of a carpenter, a laborer in the day. He would, he would later ride into Jerusalem on a donkey rather than in, in a Cadillac. He would be buried in somebody else's tomb. And I'm quoting somebody. So why was the Savior and King born in a place where animals are kept? And why was he then laid in the animal's food trough? Surely God's Son deserved a high-profile birth in the most elegant of surroundings. But instead, God sent his Son and he made his appearance on earth in the lowliest of circumstances. This humble birth conveys an amazing message to creation. The transcendent, supreme God condescended. He humbled himself to come to us. 
Instead of coming to earth as a pampered, privileged ruler, Jesus was born in meekness as one of us in very extremely humble surroundings. He's approachable. He's accessible. He's available. His palace gates bar, no palace gates bar the way to him. There's no guard that blocks you from encountering him. He is always available 24-7. The king of kings came humbly and his first bed was a manger. Those are the details that God wanted to emphasize with Jesus' birth. Not the size of the ark or the ornateness or the size of the tabernacle or or the opulence of, of the temple, but the humility of Jesus and his birth, God in the flesh. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says in the verse just before that, he is the great high priest. That's the one we worship. That's the one we bow down to. And I want us to hear this. Jesus has identified with you and is able to understand who you are specifically individually as well as mankind in general he he knows what you're going through no matter what you're going through today you might think i'm unique i'm alone i'm all by myself that's what our enemy likes to make us think separate us don't hear me say that the gospel changes for each one of us according to our situation jesus died because we broke the law it's his blood that that enables us by faith in him It's his blood that enables us to have the righteousness of God in him. The gospel doesn't change, but he understands who you are, where you are, what you're going through. Hear me say this. God sees you and knows you and invites you and bids you and even draws you to come to Jesus. If there's a hint of a desire, it's because God, through his supernatural ability and power, is drawing you to come to the Lord. The exhortation of Hebrews chapter 3 seems very appropriate today, and it is today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Amen? We've got our kids with us, and one, one of the things that we all do is we memorize John 3.16 with our kids. And so I thought it might be fitting for all of us to say John 3.16, and then I'll continue with John 3.17 when we finish that. Let's say that together. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Mom and Dad... You have the responsibility of communicating the truth. That's all you can do. God has to be the one who does the saving and the forgiving and the drawing. But we have the privilege and the responsibility of communicating the truth to our children and our grandchildren and the people around us. Build on what we've talked about today with the gospel as well as John 3.16. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son... God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so the question that I have for every adult that's 90 and younger, I don't think we have anybody over 90 here with us this morning, but if you're online, 100 and younger, okay? The question I have for us as adults and as young adults and as teenagers and as children 
is, do you recognize Jesus died on the cross for you? And he requires and desires that we believe obedient faith, repent of trusting ourselves, believe that God provided Jesus' sacrifice, that I might have the righteousness of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a detailed creator you are. And yet you chose to not include what we would consider some pretty obvious things for the coming of the Son of God. You chose to include his humility, that he became flesh, that he was tempted in all ways like we are, yet he didn't sin. And we thank you for the focus that you put on that. Might not be what we would do, but it's what you chose to do. And we're fine with that. I pray, Lord, for every boy and girl in this place, others that come in here occasionally, for teenagers, for young adults, young people, older people, that we would have a genuine biblical belief, repentance, and following of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we would recognize that we're your creation, that we're loved by you, that you know who we are, that you sent your son for us, and we thank you for that. So do the work that only you can do even right now. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.